right, so, um, and, you know, the first time I preached this, I uh, we were there and there were like 60 people in front of me, right? And the question I had with people then, the question I have for us today is, uh, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Why did you choose to come to church today? What is the purpose of our coming to church today? What's the meaning behind it? Why do we do church? Why do we do church? It's Christianity, yeah, but like church specifically. Like, why do we, what, what are we, what is the point of this? And I think uh, kind of the easy target for some of us, maybe those like seeker-friendly churches, right? It's a very easy target for, uh, for people like me, right? Churches where the only point is to get butts in the seats. Right? We call it seeker-friendly churches, growth specialists, and uh, they say like, "Oh, if we if we make it easy for them, if we make it easy for people to get into the door, get through the doors, and sit out and sit through like an hour service, right? Maybe, perhaps, if they are here, they can be exposed to the gospel, right? We reel them in, we treat them good with treats and, and honeys, and, and then bam, you hit them with Jesus, right?" Do whatever you take, whatever it takes to keep the people interested. Right? I do whatever it takes. Hype it up. Right? Keep it fun. Tell the jokes. Don't be so serious. Don't be so morose. Don't be so like, don't be such a buzzkill. Make them feel good about themselves. Make them feel good about coming to church, right? And then BAM! Gospel, right? Bam, Jesus. Oh. Right? Um, but like, they can't hear about Jesus if like, coming to church makes them feel like crap, right? Because after all, after all, isn't the point of all this to show the world how happy Christians are, right? Isn't the point of this to show the world, oh man, we're so, we're cool too, right? We're, we're normal, right? Isn't the point of it to say, hey, see? Jesus ain't so bad. And we, and we, there's a tendency, and I think there's a culture, not just in the churches that uh, kind of purposely do that, but even in churches that are well-meaning, to have this sort of culture that says there is no time, there's no place for sorrow in the church. There's no place for that. There's no place for heavy heart. There's, there's a, nah, don't be such a buzzkill. Because if you like that, then people are not going to want to come here. People are not going to want to come to church. They're not going to be able to harvest. And they say, hey, let's stop talking about sin. Let's stop talking about like all the ways that sin is messing with or affecting our lives. Right? And we talk about sin kind of like on in a superficial level. Right? We go to the men's small groups. It's like, oh, God, sorry. Oh, like, why watch porn in here? And then we keep it like superficial. Right? And the girls, I don't know. Sorry, I'm, just, I'm done. Um, but that's, I, th- I think, as a man, like, that's kind of like the cliche, right? Oh, what are you talking about? That's the world of church right? It's like, that's, that's like, that's it, right? And it's like, oh, and then we laugh, like, oh, yeah, like, oh, but then, that, but then, trying to get to the heart of that, right? Trying to, trying to get deeper, like, why, why are you, why are you struggling with this basic level of lust? And you've been calling yourself a Christian for 10, 15 years, right? 
Um, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, right? And then um, just trying to get to like the heart of your sin and the heart of your struggles, right? Really dive into it. And then like, no, no one wants to do that, right? The church say, hey, don't, don't, no time for that, right? <coughs> it doesn't matter like if, if we talk about those things, like, because if we talk about those things, no one's going to show up to school, right? No one's going to show up to a Bible study. No one's going to show up to Sundays, right? And there's this fear that if we bring up the sorrow of the, 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 the sorrow of being a Christian, the sorrow of living in living here, uh, there's no room for that. Church is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be filled with joy. As, and we as Christians, and, and we have to, we need to rebuke ourselves, right? We need to take a hard look at ourselves in the mirror. We think about church this way, and maybe we don't say it out loud. There is a culture within, within, uh, within even our church, and I feel it in my own heart too, right? Where we say, hey, let's, let's keep it chill. We're here for the needs. We're here for the good times. At the same time, some of our mothers dying of cancer. Uh, there are some of us, maybe even in this room, who are contemplating suicide. There are some of us whose parents are, are going through a brokenness in their marriages. Maybe they're already broken. Some of us, or some people we know, are on the verge of financial ruin. There are people here in our church and in churches around the world, and people outside the church, right, who are lonely and misunderstood and frightened, confused, angry and depressed. These are people, maybe we are among them, who are looking for hope, who are looking for answers. So how dare we, as a church, instead of giving, providing an answer, maybe not a solution, but an answer, a reason to hope, a reason to, a reason to keep on trekking forward. What we offer them is fun and games and programs and bowling trips and so on. And so forth. Not that these things are bad. I always have to put that put that asterisk in there, right? But for people looking for hope, for a world that is looking to the church. And asking the question, why should we believe what you believe? And even people in this building, even people in this room, are asking the question, why should I keep believing in this Jesus thing? And we say, because we have good times. We need to offer them something more than that. So what, you ask me? Does the church need to be a plate, so we need to be sad and sullen and gloomy and heavy and dark all the time, right? We come to church in this hot-ass room and we sit in the seats and we just kind of go through this thing and we say, oh, 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 yeah, I'm a bad person, I'm a single person, right? Like, oh, is that what the point of church is then? Right? No. No, that's not. Uh, <coughs> it's not that we need more sorrow. But it's also that we don't need more joy. Now that sounds weird. But what I'm trying to do with this sermon, and what I think Paul is doing here, 
in this passage today is that he is reframing what the definition of sorrow is and what the definition of joy is in, in, in the sense that, what, like, why are we sorrowful? Why are we joyful? <coughs> See, it's not that we need to be more sad or that we need to be more happy. We need to be, as Paul says in verse 10 of this sixth chapter, we need to be as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We need to be always sorrowful and always rejoicing. John Piper calls this the complex harmony of the human soul. Right? And this is this 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 interaction between sorrow and joy is something that I, I, believe, I truly believe only Christians can understand, right? Because this is the thing where the world will look at the church and ask, why are you so sorrowful? And at the same time ask, why are you so happy, right? Because, because if somebody wants to get hyped up, if somebody wants that self-helping, feel-good experience, I say this time and time again, they don't need to come to church to get that. Don't need church to get that, right? Um, because the world gives them that every day. But neither, do, neither does, neither do people need more reasons to feel bad about themselves, right? Uh, because the world does that every day. <coughs> what we need then, again, is hope. A hope that is greater than our inadequacy. A hope that is greater than our fear, hope that is greater than our doubt, hope that is greater than our hopelessness. And that hope is only found in the love of Christ, in the blood-soaked cross of Christ. Our only hope is found in the security and the greatness and grandeur of an infinite God who became a man and died a heinous death cross that was meant for us. What the world needs from us is not some superficial sorrow, I feel bad for sinning, nor does it need a superficial joy. What the world needs from us is an indomitable joy, a joy that cannot be overcome, an indomitable joy in Christ in the midst of suffering. Suffering right now in this heat, and yet we find joy in Christ. What the world needs from us is, is sincerity when we sing that hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to sing, it is well with my soul. That is what the world needs from us. That is what the world needs from the church. Sorrowful and always rejoicing. 
Because as Christians, we know a sorrow that is deeper than any sorrow that any person has ever known except for Jesus Christ. Why? Because what if we are Christians and if we have put our faith in Christ, then we know the depths of the sin that led Jesus Christ to the cross. Right? We can know a deep and anguishing sorrow because I, I have pained the heart of God. And yet, we as Christians can experience a joy that the world can never come close to experiencing. Why? Because though I was separated from God, though I was an enemy of God, though I was hopeless, Jesus Christ is my hope. Because it's not a hope that I can't see. It's, you know, people say it's like Christianity is not blind faith. No, I, I see it. I see my Savior upon the what he has done for me. He has paid the price for my sin. And I am reconciled to God. And I have a hope that is everlasting and eternal. <coughs> Christians should be, ought to be, the most sorrowful and yet the most joyful people on earth. And Paul knows uh, that the world needs this kind of hope. A sorrowful yet always rejoicing kind of hope. Paul is probably one of the happiest men to ever walk the face of the earth, a second to Jesus. And yet, he was also one of the most sorrowful, right? Again, perhaps only second to Jesus himself. Paul is the one who wrote to the Philippians, Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice, guys. Be happy. Don't we get really mad when people tell us that? Like, hey, guys, be happy. <laughs> right? But how can Paul, how does Paul have the audacity to go to these people and say, hey, guys, smile? Right? How can he do that? Right? Because he's the same guy who wrote to the Romans, Romans 9, 1 to 3. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. If I could wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How can he tell the Philippians? How can he tell the people he writes these letters to? Hey guys, smile. Because he himself has experienced an unceasing anguish, an unending anguish. A lot of times when we pray to God, and not saying these are bad prayers, but just this is just human nature, right? When we pray to God, whenever we're going through a tough time or a hard trial or someone's sick or uh, life sucks, we say, God, get me out of here. God, make this end. I don't want this anymore, right? That is usually the heart of our prayers. And God answers those prayers. But... We see Paul here speaking of an unceasing anguish, an anguish that does not end. And yet, he is the one with a straight face can tell to the Philippians, rejoice, you have a reason to rejoice. He has a deep, deep love, which comes out as a deep desperation for his brothers and for his friends, that they would know Christ, that they would know the gospel. He wants them to know Jesus so bad. Why? Because it is only through Jesus that they can have 
relief that they can have some sort of relentment in the anguish that they feel in this life. He wants them to know the joy of the Lord. He wants them to know the joy of knowing and loving Christ and being known and knowing Christ. <coughs> he wants it so bad. He knows the joy of Christ so deeply that he is in anguish because people don't know this joy. Do you have that anguish? Do you have the anguish of someone? It's, man, it's like, uh, it's like the anguish I felt when, uh, when I took John Chow to White, uh, to White Nana, right? I had this joy of these delicious, delicious, juicy hamburgers. And I'm just like, oh man, John Chow, wasn't that great? And he was like, eh. oh man, the anguish in my soul. <laughs> if only he could know. Truly, rightly, these delicious hamburgers. Man, but I, can, I get it, all right? He doesn't like onions. But to know Christ, to know Christ, to know Jesus, the deepest, greatest joy that you could ever experience, right? And it's not like me with my french fries, where I'm like, don't touch. There's enough Jesus to go around. Do you have the heart to share this Christ? To let people know, do you have the anguish in your heart? If only you could know and be known by the greatest love that has ever walked the face of the earth. The, the very love that has shaped you and formed you to be who you are today. And it is with this deep joy and with this deep anguish for the sake of the gospel that Paul writes about his ministry to the Corinthians, right? Uh, verse 3, we have put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of people coming to know Christ. No stumbling blocks for people to experience the love and grace and peace and joy and sorrow of Jesus. <coughs> uh, back then, I didn't know this back right? But Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, the biggest um, criticism that Paul is getting, he has two, two guys, two areas of criticism coming at him, right? The first is this. Um, Paul, you're only in it for the money, right? You're only in it for the money. You're speaking all of these things because people are just handing you gobs of cash, right? You're in this for the, for the wealth. Not only that, you're in it for, for the reputation. You're in, it for, uh, you're in it for the lifestyle, right? So Paul is addressing this. He's saying, oh, that stumbling, that stumbling block, that obstacle, that's not, how, how could you even say that? He's like kind of exasperated by both, by both ends, uh, and I'll tell you the second end too. He's kind of exasperated. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've literally been shipwrecked. I've been beat. I've, I've been living like, I have no house. I live, in a, I live in a tent, right? I have to get by. I'm so hungry all the time. Um, he's... These freaking Galatians, like they haven't, they haven't given me the missionary support in a while. Like, I, what, what are you talking about, right? How could we? How could you say that we're that this is an obstacle in the pe in people's way? The second way, um, the second criticism that was coming at Paul <coughs> is, uh, is the, the exact opposite, right? Back in the day, in the, in the Greek world, uh, if you were like a philosopher, uh, because remember they had no. No entertainment, right? So all they had was the theater and philosophy, right? And so the, these dudes, you know, like you go to Times Square and there's dudes on the corner who are like dressed up as Spider-Man and they like start to do break dancing or whatever. 
That was a terrible example. But dudes on the street would just kind of stand there and just like spout off the, the latest philosophical like advancements of the day, right? They were called sophists. And uh, that's how they made money, right? They're basically performing philosophy. And so they do this and people, if they like your, they like your stuff, they're like, oh, nice. Here's the Darius, right? Here's, here's, here's the stuff I'm supposed to give to Caesar, but here's, I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, but Paul, kind of weirdly, would stand out on the street and he would not take any money. And the sign that someone was philosophizing, 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 the sign that they were like speaking truth was that they were making gobs of cash, right? And so what they would say is, Paul, what you're saying is BS. How do we know this? Because you're poor. How do we know that what you're saying is not true or is not even worth listening to? Because where's, where's the money, right? Where are the results? Where are the butts in the seats? Where are the, where are the guys coming to your small group, right? Where, where's the, where's that, where are the numbers, Paul? And so, uh, if, as you read through verses 1 through 10, I'm kind of going a while, so I'm, wow, I've got like two-thirds of a sermon to go, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually close it soon, so don't worry. Uh, but it is, um, and so, he's saying, guys, like, both of this is it's silly. It's silly. Look, look at how I'm living my life. Look at how I am displaying and sharing and living out the gospel in order that people would not be hindered to the gospel of Christ. Look how I am living in, in unceasing sorrow and anguish. These brothers and sisters, that's why I stand out on the streets. That's why I'm going to all of these places where I have a very good chance of getting whipped and beaten and my shit, I go through storms and my feet have blisters on them from walking so much. That's why I do it. Why? Because I have such a, I have, I have found a joy that is greater and deeper than all of my sufferings. I have found Jesus. Jesus has found me, actually. He found me on the road to amazing Jesus. You can find you, too. <coughs> this gospel, it's not... There are no stumbling blocks to Paul's ministry. He doesn't do this because... He would gain some sort of notoriety or some wealth or something. even comfort, right? He doesn't do any of these things. He does this because he has a longing for people to know what he knows. He has a burning desire for people to come to Christ because Christ, Christ is the answer. I'm just it's like a bumper sticker. Christ is the answer for them. He is their hope. He can be their peace. Christ, um, I'm skipping through a lot of exposition right now because uh, it's getting kind of getting kind of rambling. Um, but Christ commends his ministry at the end, right? Uh, he talks about all that he's gone through. He talks about all the 
Dishonor, scoffing, slander, treated as imposters, as unknown as dying, punished. And his overall conclusion and sort of the thrust of the Christian life is this that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Knowing Christ and being known by Christ, living eternally with Christ is better than any earthly thing. Right? He commands his ministry as he goes through afflictions because Jesus is his comfort, through beatings because Jesus is his healer, through all these sleepless nights because Jesus is more precious and valuable to us than sleep. And he says to all of his critics, and we can say to all of ours, you can take your money, your fancy clothes, your health, your superficial displays of happiness, because all these things will fade in an instant. Instance. All these things fade in an instant. I will take Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. What the world needs from us then is not empty promises. What the world needs from us is not, hey, Come here for a good time. The world needs from us. It's not superficial displays of joy. Neither does the world need superficial displays of sorrow. <coughs> what the world needs from us is an indomitable joy in Christ in the midst of our suffering and sorrow. The world needs to see from us is that when one of us is hurting, we are hurting with them. And yet, even as we hurt with them, we share the joy of Christ. As the psalmist says, one of my favorite songs, but my heart and my flesh may fail. Uh, I guess it's not my favorite song because I, I like it. But <laughs> my heart and my flesh may fail. Uh, God is the, God is the, the, all right, you get the point, right? God is the source of my, uh, God is the, God is the rock. Um, God is my hope. God is my joy forever. The world does not need our joyless sorrow, a sorrow that is full of despair and hopelessness. Oh, what's the point? Nor does the world need our sorrowless joy that is fleeting and superficial and vapor in the wind. It needs Christ and all of Christ. So I'll wrap it up with this. In Romans 8, um, Paul gives this great little speech to end the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, uh, this world offers uh, so much to be happy about and so much to be sorrowful about. And yes, yeah, both of these things lead to hopelessness. And yet, even so many churches, God, maybe sometimes even our own, is offering the same kind of sorrowful joy and joyful sorrow. And yet, Lord God, we know that uh, the thrust of the Christian life, the thrust of knowing Christ is to be known by Christ and to know Him in all of His, in His death and resurrection, to know Him in His sorrow and His joy. Lord, may we be filled with the love of Christ in a way that fills us with joy indeed, that we have hope and peace and rest in Christ. And Lord, may we be filled with sorrow, filled with the sorrow over the sin that yet remains in us, the sin that yet remains in our brothers and sisters. May we deal with these things in confession and repentance, that we would not deal with them on a superficial level, Lord God, but that we would, through the blood and, and hope and gospel of Christ, drive at the heart of these things and drive them out of our, out of our brothers and sisters and out of our church. And Lord God, at the same time, we would be filled with sorrow that yet, uh, that still people do not know. That we would be filled with the sorrow that people yet do not yet know the sweet, sweet taste of God. They do not know the sweet flavor of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And so, Lord God, with Crossway Fellowship, as we uh, start off this summer, well, not for Julie, no one, but uh, this summer, Lord, as we find rest and respite from school and work, this opportunity to reflect upon the gospel of Christ, that we are not called to simply be sorrowful or simply be joyful, but Lord, that we are called to be sorrowful, always sorrowful, always rejoicing because of the gospel of Christ. It is only by the Holy Spirit that this is possible, Lord God. And so would you work mightily in our church, mightily in me, mightily in us. In Jesus' name I pray.